Welcome to another iGrow season at APC. We're so glad you've tuned in. Our church is blessed with excellent teachers of the Word of God, and our hope is that you find today's teaching enlightening, motivational, and encouraging. To learn more about our church, visit theapc.org or find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's lesson. Of the 
Proverbs that he had said his wise saying. So um, the subject of Proverbs is very clearly stated right up front in the, in the first chapter. And he was the wisest man. I already said he was the wisest man. And so appropriately, he was leaving us his wisdom. Not, not so tonight. I'm not the wisest. But I am trying to grow in wisdom. And so I think that that's why we're all here, because we're trying to grow in wisdom. The scripture says that, the scripture teaches us that wisdom is a matter of the heart, more than of our brain or of our mind. Wisdom is a matter of our heart. In the word of God, we find that true biblical wisdom at its most basic level is obedience to God. Obedience to God is what wisdom truly is. So simply put, if, if we obey God, then we're wise. And if we disobey God, if we don't obey God, then we are not so wise. And the key verse in Proverbs, probably one that everyone is familiar with, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the starting point of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the holy is understanding. The book of Proverbs is a practical book. It's a practical book. It helps us learn life lessons. And it may seem random at first when you're reading it. I, I Sometimes it's just one little line. And then it jumps to another thought it feels like immediately after. It's like loose collections of unrelated statements. Uh, for instance, Proverbs chapter 10. If you just read Proverbs chapter 10, verses 1 and 2 says, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivereth from death. Drop down to verse 5. He that gathereth in the summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in the harvest is a son that causes shame. Verse 7. The memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. So these seem like very important and, and wise sayings, but they're just loosely connected. It feels like they're just kind of mashed together in a file somewhere. And not he just picks out whatever works for the moment, I guess. But if we'll study a little more intently in the book of Proverbs, we find that Proverbs speaks repetitively of three themes. He talks about our money. He talks about our mouth, things that we say, our influence. And he talks about our morals, who we are on the inside, who we really are, our intent, our motive. Those are the things that he's talking about over and over and over. And we have to be careful because it's possible to be smart in these areas, but not be wise in these areas. These are, uh, we know people who are, uh, I know people who are smart with money. They have the Midas touch. Just about everything that they put their hand on turns to profit. But they're not wise with their money. They spend it on frivolous things, or they spend it on selfish means. They're not wise with their money. I know people who are smart in their vocabulary. They, they're intelligent conversationalists. They can debate and twist my brain around my ear. But while they may be smart with their words, they're not wise with their heart. And their understanding can get them all tripped up with philosophical thoughts. And there are some really smart people who act really dumb when it comes to making life decisions. I mean, this is just a me thing. I like to watch the show Jeopardy. And Jeopardy has super intelligent people come on, on there. And just seeing them and looking at them and seeing some of their life choices, I recognize that they may be intelligent, but they're not very wise in their life choices. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference in smart and wise. Let's not confuse those and think that they're synonymous. Solomon was the wisest man to ever live. He was also the most wealthy man to ever live. And yet, even he knew what it was like to mess up his life by not acting wisely. 
So he left us the instructions in Proverbs to teach us his hindsight, his, his lessons of life. See, I found that it's better to learn from other people's mistakes than to make all the mistakes myself and learn them the hard way. I am the youngest, and I have two older brothers, and I watched them get into some pretty sticky situations, and I was like, mm -mm, not doing that one. That I didn't want to do. Jeff Foxworthy says, <coughs> it's not the highest institution of learning, but the school of hard knocks is the only school a fool will attend. I hate that school. I want to avoid that school with all I have. Wisdom is knowing what to do with what you know. We know a lot of things, but knowing what to do with what we know. Intelligence is the addition or the acquisition of knowledge. And we can get intelligence by studying at school, reading, a well-read person is an intelligent person usually. Watching YouTube videos. I mean, you can learn how to work on your car, clean your gun, build a house. Watching YouTube videos. So we can acquire intelligence from a multitude of different places, but wisdom is better than intelligence because wisdom is the application of knowledge. In this, in this age of information, we're overloaded with information. I heard one person say, we're drowning, we're drowning in information and starving for wisdom. We have all this. We have Google, right? It's in our hands. It's at our fingertips. We've got all the information we're ever going to need, but we don't have a lot of wisdom on how to use the information that we have. And that's what wisdom is. It teaches me how to use what and know when to use and where to use the information that I know. Because I can know a whole lot of stuff, but I have to know where, when, and how to apply it. That's wisdom. And where do we get that kind of wisdom? Where do we get the kind of wisdom that governs our lives properly, to govern our lives properly? That's the kind of wisdom that I want. We get that from our Creator. We get that from our Heavenly Father, who knows us, who knows us intimately, who created us. And he said, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, if you'll just ask me,
A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. See, if I did what I wanted to do, I'd just fuel that fire a little more. Now, there are two, there's a twofold purpose in Proverbs. The first part of um, the first chapter reveals this purpose to us. In Proverbs chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, and to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. Solomon leaves us these writings to teach us first. He wants us to learn how to perceive God's wisdom. We perceive with our head, with our brain, with our intellect. But Solomon wants us to learn to recognize God's wisdom. Recognize that. But it's not enough just to perceive it with our head. A lot of people can quote scripture. A lot of people can quote scripture, but they don't live scripture. I see tattoos on people of scripture, and I'm positive that they are not representing Jesus. Okay. I'm a nurse, so I see tattoos all over people. Barstool preachers, they like to philosophize and sermonize and they pontificate without application because they don't have wisdom in their life. They know and they respect some scriptures, but they perceive God's wisdom with their head only. They perceive wisdom, they receive, they, they perceive it with their head. But perceiving wisdom is not all there is to it. And that brings us to the second purpose of Solomon's writing. He says in that chapter 1, verse 2, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. And the second purpose is to receive the word. We need to perceive it with our brain. We need to recognize, hey, this is godly wisdom. But we also need to receive it. And we don't receive it with our brain. We don't receive it with our intellect. We receive it with our heart. We receive it into us. It becomes planted within. It starts growing inside. It becomes a part of us. That's how we receive it. We can perceive it. There's people who perceive it. They, they, they talk about it. They may tattoo themselves with it. But they don't receive it. It doesn't change them. That's where the transformation comes about. With the wisdom of God. When I receive it and it becomes a part of me. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 10, in the Amplified Version says, For skillful and godly wisdom shall enter into your heart. Into your heart. And knowledge shall be pleasant to you. This is how the Amplified Version puts uh, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 2. Making your ear attentive to skillful and godly wisdom and inclining and directing that's something that's not natural. I'm, I'm directing. Directing your heart and mind to understand, apply all your power to the quest for it. Put all of your effort into applying this to your life. We need to both perceive with our head and receive wisdom with our heart. And that's why some, sometimes God's wisdom, we have to do that because if we only receive it with our head, God's wisdom is God's wisdom can't be understood with natural thinking. Sometimes God's commands or directives are going to mess up my mind. <laughs> because all I have is this earthly intelligence or earthly understanding from school, from books, from YouTube, from life experience. That's just secular wisdom. And that can't receive the wisdom of God. And so sometimes we find ourselves questioning, why would God want that from me? Why would God ask that of me? That can't be God. Because the wisdom of God can't be received with the mind. It has to be received with the heart. If we're listening to the wisdom and the philosophies of this world, the wisdom of our culture, then they'll convince us that God doesn't know what he's talking about. That that's just some old-fashioned irrelevant concept that's outdated and traditional
institutional religiosity. And that's not even close to what the truth is. See, we can't always figure out God's wisdom with our head. And that's why we have we can't just perceive it with our head with our head. We have to receive it with our heart. Some someone said once that the longest journey is from the 18 inches from our head to our heart. We've got a little short neck, so mine's probably a little shorter than that. But, but from here to here, that's a hard journey sometimes. I can understand, I can get, I can grasp it, I can recognize, yeah, that's wisdom, but do I get it and apply it and it become part of me and it becomes part of my practice? If we'll receive God's wisdom with our heart, then this liberal culture of today won't shake us. There is no boundaries or reference points in our culture today. We have to have the wisdom of God to, to navigate this culture today. Paul said it like this. He said, but the natural mind in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. We don't get things from God through our head. We get them to the spirit, through a heart. Because the natural man, to the natural man, the things of God are foolishness. The things of the spirit are spiritually discerned. That's why you can be caught away in the heavenlies in a church service and receive vision and receive direction for your life and, and receive unction and anointing. And then the person behind you is playing Candy Crush on the phone. Because they weren't in the spirit. They weren't receiving. They weren't seeking. They weren't reaching out. Their spirit wasn't going, fill me, God. I want you. Give me direction. They weren't looking for it. And so all they were doing is hearing it with their natural ear. And they weren't perceiving. They weren't receiving the things that God was saying, that the spirit was doing all around them. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 22, in this single verse, Solomon identifies three kinds of people who desperately need God's wisdom. The problem is, is that they don't recognize that they need God's wisdom. They don't realize it. They're so busy trying to figure out life with their head that they're not listening to God with their heart. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 22 says, How long, ye simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. How long are you going to do this, you simple ones? Going to be blissfully ignorant? Some people don't want to know. They want to stay ignorant, because they don't have any responsibility. How long are you going to stay simple? You don't want, you aren't searching for truth. You aren't seeking for truth. How long are you going to stay simple, you simple ones? You scorners, you're going to love to mock and criticize. You fools hate God's knowledge. My brother Woodward used this illustration, and I'm going to borrow it for this lesson. He used three chairs, I have them up here, to represent these three types of people that, that Solomon described. The simple seat. Corner, they mock and criticize, and the fool hates the knowledge of God. And we've probably all sat in at least one of these chairs, if not all of these chairs, at some point in our lives. For sure, we've all sat in the simple seat. And here's the thing about the simple. When somebody is actually truly simple, they don't know they're simple. They don't know it. They won't admit it. And another thing about the simple chair is by the time you figure out that you're in the simple chair, then you're getting out of the simple chair. You're getting out of the simple chair because life has beat you up. You went to the school of hard knocks because you sat in the simple chair for too long. Now, every young person every college-aged person, their seat is a simple seat. 
picture, simple, is not lacking intelligence. That is not lacking intelligence. Young people are some of the smartest people alive. If you don't believe it, get a new phone. I just hand my phone to my daughter and say, I can't do it, do it. Uh, but now I'm almost to the point where I can hand it to my grandson because he can do it just about as well as I can. <laughs> scripture, the scriptural sense of simple is not lacking intelligence. Simple in the scripture is lacking experience. That's all. Lacking experience. So young people are lacking in experience. We all come into the world simple. And simple people lack experience. They don't know the difference between right and wrong yet. They don't, and, that, and, and if you want to sit there for very long, you don't want to learn the difference between right and wrong. That's, that's a problem there. They don't, want, they don't know a good decision from a bad decision. And Brother Woodward says, our good decisions come from experience. And our experience comes from all of our bad decisions, right? <laughs> our experience comes from all of our mistakes that we've made. So the simple sit here until they make some mistakes and they grow out of that chair. That's the object. One of the big problems with the simple chair is that nobody is willing to admit that they sit in the simple chair and they sit there far too long. They sit there too long. Nobody's willing because we're too proud to admit that we need help to get out of the simple situation. The simple person thinks we can figure out life. I can figure this out and I go to bed and I don't sleep for a week because I'm still trying to figure out that problem. I'm still trying to figure out a way. What can I do different? How do... And I'm just sitting in the simple seat. The simple person thinks they can figure life out and all the seasoned people that are thinking, well, I'm not, I'm not young, so I'm not in that seat. Anytime we enter into a new role, a new phase, a new responsibility in life, you automatically go sit in the simple seat again. If you got married, you knew married, honey, that's your seat right there. If you just had a baby, that's your seat right there. If life has hit you with the horrible blow of losing your life mate, right there's your seat because you have to learn all over again how to navigate through life without your other half. You're on the simple seat for a while. If you've had a critical illness or a or terminal illness, you're on the simple seat. If you got a new job, you're in the simple seat. If you got a new ministry, you're in the simple seat. Anytime we enter into a new phase of life at any age where we lack experience, we go back to the simple seat. A simple person thinks that we can figure out life all by our little old self. And, and as long as we're sitting there, we're still trying to figure it out. As long as we're sitting there, we're still trying to figure it out. That's why youth are simple, because they don't know the... the long-term effects of anything because they haven't been around long enough to know long-term effects. I remember when I was a kid and people would talk about, well, that happened 20 years ago, and I was like, dude, you're old. Now I'm thinking, that happened 35 years ago? That's why credit card companies love to target young adults because you have a new credit limit of $5,000, and now you're a high roller, and you're spending without even seeing it. And the credit card company's laughing because they know the young people don't think about the consequences of compounded interest on a credit card debt. And it's the same concept with other issues of life. I'm a nurse and I see people who have lung cancer that have eaten up their bodies because smoking was cool. That's all they thought about at the moment. Or they're orange as a pumpkin because drinking was just having a good time until they ruined their liver. Or they're addicted to all kinds of things because they thought it was no big deal. It was, everybody was 
doing it. It was fun. We were just going to do it for a little while. They took that first drink or they took that first drug or they watched that first porn video or movie or whatever they are. Show. And there are people who have destroyed their lives. They've destroyed their marriages. They've destroyed their families because of a, an innocent, it wasn't really innocent, an innocent text or DM or TikTok or Snapchat. It was just playful. It was just having fun until they're living with constant weight of regret and guilt and their minds are tormenting them and they're, and they're constantly repenting over something. And they're battling these thoughts of immorality because of something that just started with a little thing. And they didn't realize the long-term effects and consequences of their actions because they were sitting in the simple seat at that time. So we learn from Proverbs that the simple person repeatedly walks into trouble. They repeatedly make the same mistakes because they lack experience and they haven't gotten enough experience to say, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to fall there again. Oh, I see that trap coming. I'm not going to do that again. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 3 says, A prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. The prudent man gets out of the road when he sees the semi coming down on him. But the simple pass on and they're punished. They walk straight into trouble like a deer in the headlights. They don't see trouble coming. The simple almost always have to learn everything the hard way. The object and the goal, because we've all sat right here, and the object and the goal of this seat is to get out of it as quickly as possible. We're going to sit here from time to time. It's, it's inevitable. We don't have experience here. But the object is get out as quickly as possible. Learn the lesson and move on. Learn from our mistakes. Grow from our blunders. It's not a waste of time. It's not the end of the world. But learn from it and let's move on. Let's grow from it. Proverbs chapter 21 and 11 says, When the scorner is punished, the simple is made wise. That's pretty, that's pretty profound. The simple learn from the consequences of bad decisions. So when they see somebody else's life blow up and explode, if they want to get out of that seat, they go, wow, that's what's going to happen if I do that. I'm not going to do that. When they see somebody else suffer, the simple learns. But look at the rest of that verse in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 11. But when the wise person is instructed, he receiveth knowledge. They just, you just have to tell a wise person, hey, that's a bad road there. You don't want to go down that road. And they receive it, and they say, thank you. Thank you for instruction and righteousness. They don't have to see it happen. They don't have to experience it. They don't have to carry the scars to prove it. The Bible says that a wise person is just taught by the, you can just teach them the principles of God and they'll walk in them. They receive knowledge. They don't just perceive it with their head. They receive it with their heart and they apply it to their lives. And if we'll receive God's knowledge, if we'll take God's knowledge and say, I recognize this is right. I'm going to put that to work in my life, even though it doesn't feel good, even though it isn't convenient, even though it isn't what I want to do. If I'll apply it to my life, I'll save my life, self a lifetime of grief. But the problem is, somebody who actually is wise, who actually has that experience, who actually has been down that road, they have some experience, and they're teaching, and they're sharing their wisdom with a simple person, into a simple person's life, a lot of times that simple person thinks, you're overreacting. That isn't going to happen to me. I'm different. I, I got this. Don't worry. I, it's not a big deal. The simple person sits in the simple seat and remains there because they won't receive that wisdom. They get pushed back against that wisdom from the wise. So anytime 
find yourself. Again, remember, it's inevitable. We're going to be here. So anytime you find yourself in this seat, let me give you a little piece of wisdom. Go find. And first, recognize, I'm in the simple seat. Acknowledge it. I'm in the simple seat here. I need some help because I don't have experience. So i got to go find somebody who does have some experience, who does know the right, who has a relationship with Jesus, who is in tune with God. And I'm going to get a hold of somebody and say, hey, I need help. I need somebody who has had experience, who knows the word of God, who lives according to the principles of God to help me out of this seat because I want to get out as quickly <coughs> as possible. Now, Proverbs doesn't give very many long stories. In fact, I think there's only one long story in Proverbs. Most of it's just short principles that last about one statement long. But there is one story in Proverbs, and it takes up a full chapter, which I thought was pretty interesting. And Solomon alludes to this experience in the latter part of chapter 2, but he goes into detail about this full story in Proverbs chapter 7. In Proverbs chapter 7, verse 6 and 7, he says, For at the window of my house I looked through my lattice, and I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youth, a young man devoid of understanding. See, he's young. And his problem is not that he's devoid of intelligence. He's devoid of understanding. He's devoid of understanding. He has smarts, but he isn't very wise. He doesn't have understanding. And the story goes on in the chapter about the seduction of this woman. And she tempts this young man. And he thinks it's party time. He just goes with it. And he thinks it's no big deal. This is, you know, this is great. Until you read a little later on in that chapter. And here's the results. In verse 21 and 20 through 23 of chapter 7, he says, When she with her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. She forced him, not with a gun to his head, but with petting his ego. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter, as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till an arrow struck his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare. He did not know it would cost him his life. He did not know the long-term effects. He did not know the consequence was going to be his whole life was in shambles because he sat in the simple seat. Solomon was the wisest man. I just, this blows my mind here. Solomon was the wisest man on earth. And he left this story in his wise sayings. The wisest man on earth had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Put that sink in for a second. He knew a thing or two about what the wrong woman could cost you. What the wrong relationships could cost you. And he addresses this story to his son. It looks like, in hindsight, Solomon's saying, Son, I know I'm wise, and I have this, this, this reputation of wisdom. There was a time when I sat in the simple seat, I'm trying to save you from sitting there in this instance. I'm trying to give you some information to apply to your life so you don't follow my footsteps. Parents, be careful we don't say... Do as I say, not as I do. Do Because nine times out of ten, our kids are going to follow right in our footsteps. Solomon says, wait a minute. Hear me on this. I sat in that simple chair, and I want to spare you. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Simple people are susceptible to flattery. Simple people are susceptible to peer pressure. Simple people are susceptible to just petting the ego a little bit. Now it's normal to want the acceptance of our peers and of, it doesn't matter what age you are, we want the acceptance of those around us. We want people around us to think well of us. We want people to, to like us. And that's normal. 
But if we set our affection on the approval of mankind, that is fickle. It changes. Look at this culture. Look at this cancel culture. They love you today and hate you tomorrow and roast you. This culture is fickle. So we will never, ever get enough affirmation or enough acceptance from humanity. Not, not your wife, not your husband, not your child, not your boss, not your peers, not your friends. You're never going to get enough approval from humanity. Because that comes from God alone. He put a place within us that only he can fill. And we can try to stuff Stuff, stuff, any stuff. We can stuff people. We can stuff relationships. We can stuff things. We can stuff money. We can stuff culture. We can stuff our job. We can stuff whatever you want to stuff. You are never going to fill that spot. That spot will only be filled with his approval, with his love, with his acceptance. And so when we find ourselves searching for the acceptance of people, be careful. Do I seek the approval of God? Do I seek the approval of God? Because remember, the simple people are swayed with flattery, with approval of mankind. I'm so concerned about what people think about me, or am I so concerned about what does God think about me? What does God think about this situation? What does God think about my response? He made us in his likeness and in his image. And you are enough for him if you'll just seek him. You're enough. If you don't feel like you're enough for your parents or your peers or your friends or your boss, you seek his approval. And I promise you, you're enough. And if you have him inside of you, you're more than enough. You're more than enough. His approval is all we need. If we have his approval, the right people will approve of us. And the wrong people, they don't matter. His approval is who we seek after. I just want to please Jesus. I just want my life to please him. I just want my thoughts to please him. I just want my motives to please him. I just want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 says, the fear of man brings a snare. I'm worried about what they think about me. That's going to bring a snare. That's going to bring a snare into your life. If we're going to chase after the approval of what other people think, it's going to bring a snare into our life. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Because why? Because he gives us confidence. Yes. Mm-hmm. His approval gives me confidence. I don't need other people's approval. If he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, what does anybody else's approval mean? Our confidence comes from him. Seeking the approval of people is controlling. It controls us. But if we'll seek the approval of God, it will free us. It will free us. God controls the outcome of our life. God controls. If I'm seeking his approval, then he says, I'll set in order your steps. I'll set in order the events of your life. I'll set in order. When he sets it in order, it's set like a banquet. If I bust that door down trying to make it work, it's usually a mess when I get in there. I'll just tell you that. Usually when I force the situation, I walk in on a big mess and I'm back in the corner saying, oh God, help me Jesus. I made a mess here. So I want to turn my face toward him and seek his face of approval. And if we do this, we will receive God's wisdom and we will avoid so many snares in life. A lifetime of scars can be avoided by just seeking his approval. What time is it? Oh, I got a little time. Yay. An obedient heart is the quickest way out of this simple chair. An obedient heart. And God says, this is the way, walk in it. And I 
Proverbs chapter 15, verse 2 says, The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightfully, but the mouth of the fool pours forth foolishness. It just gushes out of them. Foolishness just gushes. Now, I'm not talking about joking. I'm not talking about fun and having a jokester. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something that is, in the biblical sense of a fool, that's, that's, a, that's a wicked, that's an evil, that's a sinister word. The mouth of the fool pours out disregard for the precepts of the word of God. It pours out rebellion. It disregards the laws of God altogether. It pours out carnality. It's a casual approach. It doesn't, it's an I don't care approach to life. That's the mouth of the fool, and they will spew that out to anybody who will listen to them. Anybody who will listen to them. So if you have a fool in your life, spouting a bunch of foolishness, remove yourself from their company as quickly as possible, because that will pollute your spirit as well. You remove yourself from that conversation because it will pollute your spirit. Because they're, continual, they're continually fascinated with foolishness. And so they make the same mistakes like the simple over and over and over again. Proverbs 26 verse 11 says, a dog returns to his own, As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool returns repeatedly to his folly, to the same foolishness. Isn't that a gross word picture? A dog returning to his vomit? In God's sight, the fool is just gross. It's just repulsive. It's repulsive. And many times the thing that causes a fool to change is to fall flat on their face and have to deal with the full consequences of their decision. That's the only thing that, that can cause them to, to change. It's like the prodigal son. You notice how the father loved him? He loved that boy. And he continually watched for that boy and anticipated his return. But the father let him go. The father let him go to the far country. The father let him waste all of his inheritance. Let him live in the pig pen. Let him eat swallow with the pigs. And all the while, the father just waited. He just waited, anticipating looking forward to the day his son would return, he let his beloved son fall flat on his face and hit rock bottom. But when that son hit rock and he came to himself and he returned home, thank God that the father was still waiting. Thank God that he was still loving. That's where we have to be. If we represent our heavenly father, when they've left and they've acted the fool. And when they come back, we have to be waiting, looking, longing to wrap them in love, to wrap them in encouragement, to wrap them in helps, and do all that we can do to restore them as the Father did to us, because such were some of us. I've sat in the seat of the fool. I've sat there. I paid the consequences. I came back and I said, God, forgive me. And you know what? He was so gracious. He was so merciful. He was so kind. He was so gentle. When they come back, we have to have the love of the Father. We comfort them with the comfort that we ourselves have received from him. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, or chapter 13, verse 20, says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the compassion of fools, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. It's not just the rebelliousness of the fool that hurts themselves from their foolish sin. The Bible says the companion of fools will be destroyed. How many times have you seen... Um, a person just start hanging out with the wrong people. They were a good person. They were a good person. They just started hanging out with 
the wrong people, the wrong crowd, and soon they begin to act like them. Whether it was a critical person, or a carnal person, or a worldly person, or a sensual person, a moral person, a negative gossiping person, whatever, if they hung out with them long enough, you begin to see that start coming out of them. And soon you notice these traits just start popping up out of this good person, this good person. I have a somewhat crude statement that I tell my daughter, I've told her for years, maybe if you hang out with trash, you're going to start smelling like trash. You hang out in the trash can long enough, you're going to start getting trash on you. You're going to start looking like trash. Pretty soon, Pastor Byers will not know the difference between you and the trash. The companion of a fool gets hit with the shrapnel and are destroyed along with a fool. Maybe it's a mom and dad acting the fool and the kids are going down with the ship. I've seen so many times I've seen parents when a kid needs stability the most and the parents begin to waffle and the kids go down with the ship. And you don't have to be a fool in every area of life to be a fool in some areas of your life. You can be a pretty good person, but there's just that one area where you sit in the seat of the fool. And anytime you know what's right, what you ought to do, anytime you know what the Word of God says to do, anytime you know what pastor has told you to do, advised you to do, and you decide, puff, puff, not here. That's, a, that's not, it's not that big of a deal. It's not going to affect me. It's not that, this time, anytime you do that, you're sitting in the seat of the fool. You know that. You know better, you're just not caring enough. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's the chair of the fool. I know what I ought to do. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I just ain't feeling it today. I don't care enough to change. That's characteristic of the fool. God help us not to act have enough character to say, Lord, help me. Help me. See, we can, I'm jumping ahead and I'll come back next week and hit the seat of this one. I'm not going to go there because I got this too long. Uh, but we can be in the seat of the simple and get out of it. And we can sit in the seat of the pool and you can get out of it. But it takes repentance. It takes repentance to get out of the seat of the fool. You can't get very far in the seat of the fool without saying, God, I was feeling, I was being rebellious. And I apologize. And I'm so sorry. God, give me character to stand and be righteous and to do what I know is right. So there is hope for any seat that you sit in. Because, yep, I've sat in. I'm so grateful and so thankful there's hope. Hope is let the wisdom of the Lord be received inside of you like a seed and let it grow. Let it grow out of you. That's your hope. That's your blessed hope because that will save you. That will save you in the long run and in the short run. God bless you. I love you people, and I'm so thankful for the opportunity to talk to you tonight. I'm going to stop right there, and let's ask the Lord to help us to receive his wisdom. God, you are gracious. You are so gracious. You are such a good father. I ask you, Lord, to help us to receive your word, not just to receive it in our head, but to receive it in our heart and let it become a part of us. Help us to have the character to Allow it to work your character out of us, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray your blessings upon my brothers and sisters who with them tonight. Keep your hand upon them and help us to grow together in your kingdom and in your will. Your kingdom, I trust, in Jesus' name.